Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing sermon for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook, grab a pen, and get ready to hear of the more that God has for us. It's really, really wonderful to see you. I am Gabe Phillips and uh, married to the beautiful Fiona, who's in the mom's room with a whole bunch of other moms and their little ones. And uh, it's really great to see you this morning. And uh, I, I, this morning I got to cast my mind back five, six years ago when we were in Milneson High School Hall and this incredible venue where we started this Life Changes Milneson at that stage, Century City, now this adventure. And I just remembered the countless long hours of moving metric desks after services. And then having to, you couldn't, you couldn't do church until you moved the desk out. You couldn't finish church until the desks were back in. And it was quite an exhausting time. I remember moving MMA boxing rings or trying to and then realizing we couldn't. So we just did church on top of it. I remember having to clean up from a dance event from the Saturday night before, before at the school, before we could even start setting up on the early on the 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning. I remember that the Milton High School Hall, it was not perfect, but I want to tell you it was home. It was home. Because the people of God were there and gave us faith. And then I remember us moving to the upstairs conference venue at Milton High School Hall. And uh, if you could find us, you could join us. That was our pitch. Because the directions where you come through the gate and you drive past three classrooms and you go over a broken tennis court and you go around the corner there. And then, you, then you, but you're not there yet. Just keep, hold on. And you'd have to, it was just quite a, a tough journey to get there. And I remember storing equipment in Aidan Pringle's classroom and his English classroom downstairs and around tight corners. And he graciously opening in between Shakespeare and Wordsworth and all these books. There were, was a, a speaker and some, and some, and some coffee cups. And, and we just we stored everything in that classroom. It wasn't ideal, but it was home. I remember seeing my primary school. And uh, I remember in that phase, because my, we had little, little kids, and I remember a lot of moms having their baby's room in the foyer, right next door to the bathrooms, just beautiful place to raise children, you know, just wonderful. Lovely cold draft coming through. I remember the kids in the classroom, they were, to get there, you had to walk past the rubbish bins. It just was strategic. I remember having to take up unnatural postures just to get our equipment out from underneath the stage and then adding, and then chiropractic bills going through the roof to see Peter Breslin team going back under the stage. Uh, and just, um, I just remember these exciting things. It wasn't ideal, but it was home. I remember our venue just uh, a few weeks ago, calling it home at Sable Square, and uh, I remember what was the, the hardest thing about that was seeing the pin location to people and people pitching up at Chinatown and going, where's your church? <laughs> they got some good deal on, deals on products, but they couldn't find our venue. I remember I know many people who struggled up the stairs and back down the stairs. Uh, it wasn't ideal, but we called it home. I want to tell you, I remember last week, half the church sticking around and moving our home from that place all the way to Seven Edison Way. And then I remember watching this week others taking, saying late nights and early mornings and, and just and working uh, their tails off to get this venue respectable and able to host and gather people. And something that excites me is the fact that none of these venues have ever been home because of the venues. They've always been home because of the people. And I, I, I want to honor one person today, somebody who uh, I, I remember on our first day of church six years ago at Milton High School Hall came to me and said, I'm praying for our new, our permanent own venue. And where's Anna Adams? Where's Anna Adams here? Why don't you stand very quickly, Anna? I want her to stand because I know this woman just, yeah, this amazing thing. Because um, it's because of people like Anna and Stan and, and many others. But I just know that there's a lot of people who have, I know Michael and AJ and people who've built this, uh, this, this venue, this church on their backs, literally carrying equipment back and forward. And 
But I know there's also been people who've built this venue, built this church with prayer. And, have, and when they said they're praying, and I know there's countless others, but I just want to thank you, Anna. And, and on behalf of all the other people praying, and hey, wouldn't want to do church without you. And thank you. Thank you for all those hours and sacrifice and faith. That You don't know that conversation put faith in my heart. Terrified me. Going, Anna, we've just started here. She's like, but I see a future and I'm praying for it. So thank you. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. So I want to tell you, we want to say welcome home, not to a new venue, but actually to a family, a family that's on the move, a family that really believes we're going to change the city for Jesus. So why don't you turn to the neighbor next to you and tell them welcome home. Also got my good friend, Sean Tate here, and he's from Durban. So welcome home, Sean. Transfer. He's moving to Cape Town. No, 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 it's prophesying. Why don't you turn in your Bibles to the book of Mark if you've got them. It will come on the screen, but before we dive into the text and before we put it up on the screen, uh, I love the, the book of Mark is one of four Gospels. And the, these four Gospels were, are written about eyewitness accounts about Jesus' life, his, his ministry, his, his death, and his resurrection. And they've all got though different angles, different agendas. And the book of Matthew is this profound agenda. Matthew starts off in this narrative of Jesus' genealogy, Jesus' family line. It starts off with all these uh, incredible, you can take the scripture for now, Mignon, if that's all right, we'll get there. But in, in, in the book of Matthew, starts off with this narrative of a family lineage, of a genealogy, and describing not the blessed good, but actually the blessed bad. It's almost a, a greatest hits of all the failures of the Bible, and yet how linked together the life of Jesus is birthed through that lineage. And it gives such courage to me to remind me that actually out of Jesus' pretty dodgy family line comes the salvation, Savior of the world. And I want to remind us that there's no debauchery that can disqualify us from what God wants to do. There's no background. There's no backstory. There's nothing in, in I know what you did last summer. I know there's nothing in the trailer, in the trunk of your life that is going to disqualify what God wants to do in your life. If you allow the life of Jesus to intersect with that chaos. I want to tell you the book of Luke starts with, Political oppression. It, it roots us in the fact that Israel, Jerusalem, is under Roman oppression, under Herod, and it's under great time of persecution and stress and anxiety. And the religious aren't able to find the freedom they know. They're living under the thumb of Rome. And he situates us in this reality of political oppression. But it reminds me again that there's no situation, there's no opposition that will stop what God wants to do. In the, in the midst, under their very nose of Herod, the life of Jesus is born. And I love the narrative that John, the, the other gospel writer, he starts and he says, in the beginning was the word and the darkness could not overcome it. The light came into the world and the darkness could not overcome it. And I wanted to remind us that that reminds me as I read the first page of John, that there's no demonic stronghold, there's no sickness, there's no darkness that can stop what God wants to do when the life of Jesus intersects that story. I love those three books because they answer in a sense, Matthew with the family lineage, and trying to root who, who Jesus is and the people of God are, it answers the question, who am I? Every time. If you're saying, who am I? You're showing with your identity and your place in this world and where you fit in and maybe you feel disqualified. How do I root my life back into what Jesus is doing? The book of Matthew tells in page one that actually know for how far you're gone, you can understand always who you are in Christ Jesus. I love the fact that the book of Luke no matter, answers the question, what is going on in the world? Maybe that's where we are in this juncture of our lives, where we look around and we see what's happening in the Ukraine. We look in Saudi Arabia, we look in America, we look in our own nation, the corruption, the chaos. And maybe you want to throw your hands up and go, what is going on in this world? How can we thrive? What, what is our place? Are we marginalized as Christians? What do we do? How do we find our voice? What is going on in this world? The book of Luke answered in page one. 
Even though Herod was reigning, the kingdom of God was coming. Actually, the kingdom of God will not be stopped. It will keep moving. And I love the fact in the book of John, in the sense when there's this prophetic literature told about that we, who, what Jesus was, who came into the earth, into the darkness, and collided with the darkness, and the darkness had to shrink back, did not know what to do. It answers the question, where is God? Maybe you're in the story right now, and you're in the grip of sickness, or in an addiction, or relational tension, and everything is falling apart around you, and you just cry, God, where are you? The book of John answers that. It says, in the beginning was God. In the beginning was the Word. Not, not, not in the darkness, in the most depraved moment, in the most debauchery, debaucherous moment, the moment where you have nothing else to give, the Word of God is there. I love this fact. And then we've got this book called Mark. The book of Mark is something so unique because all these incredible books are trying to do some reality. But the book of Mark starts off with no nativity scene, no prophetic promises, no reality of, of grand political oppression or family lineage. It doesn't do any of this. It almost like there's a fast forward button, and it almost starts us off with Jesus fully grown, guns blazing, kicking down doors, taking names, Jesus. It's like Mark is just, he's like, he's my type of writer, because he's just like ADHD. He's like, don't give me the nativity. I want Jesus. I want miracles. I want power. I want, let's go. And I love the reality because when we get to chapter 2, and actually when we turn into chapter 2, and we'll get there now, it starts off by telling us that Jesus returned home to Capernaum, a fishing village. But I love the fact when Jesus is returning home to something familiar, is returning home to his, his people, returning home to his lads, uh, the place that there's a great familiarity. It's not him settling down saying, I'm home. Oh, let's, take a, let's take a breather. No, no. Chapter 2 of Mark is reminding us that as chapter 2 dawns, it's actually the kicking off of Jesus' ministry in full force. It's actually this, we're just getting started. So I want to declare to you today that this is Life Changes Century City, chapter two. The first six years have been chapter one. A lot of fun, God's done an amazing thing. But I want to tell you, when I say welcome home, it's not to tell us to settle down and not say, whoa, let's, it's amazing now that we don't have to set things up. No, no, we're just getting started. Mark chapter two, people, we're going to read it together. It's on the screen. It says this, when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. Before we move on, that, those opening two verses give us new meaning to the words full house. And I'm not talking about the, show, the hit show in the 90s with the, the identical twins playing one role. No, 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 people. I'm telling you about that this is reality and from this thing says that there was no room in this home. This place was packed, jammed, packed. There was two people per chair. There was couches that were sagging under the weight, and the couches that were meant to take three people, people were on the armrest and taking five, six people. And there were people on the kitchen counter, their faces pressed up against the glass window, peering in to try and see and catch a glimpse of Jesus. But I want to tell you, when we talk about a full house in that moment, this wasn't uh, something that was des despised by Jesus, but actually this was welcomed by Jesus. This has always been God's desire that his house would be full. There's actually a parable in Luke 14 where Jesus is teaching. He talks about a great feast. And he says, in the end time, the king of God is like a great feast. And he sends his servants out to invite those, everyone who is welcome to come to the great feast. He invites those with a pedigree who, who would have a family lineage of, of great repute. He called those with a political clout and maybe had an in in the political realm. He called the religious elite who might understand the great mysteries a little bit deeper. He called all these amazing people to this feast. But the, the, the parable tells us that they all refused and made excuses and did not come in. 
So then Jesus, in the parable, says, so then he sends out the servant, says, then go to the highways and byways. Go to the lost, the last, and the least, the people with no name. Go to the people with no title. Go to the people with no status and call them into the feast. And it says, this is the reason why. He says, so that my house would be full. Let me tell you, it burns on the, house, on the heart of Jesus that his house would be full. That the kingdom, not for, not for a crowd's sake, but actually for the gospel to be preached to them. We'll keep reading. Well, we preach all day. It says this, while he was preaching God's word to them, four men, other translations say, some men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus returned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray quickly. Father, I thank you for the brief few moments that remain with our time gathered here today. I thank you. Would you do something supernatural with your word here today in our hearts? A passage maybe some of us have sat under many times before and we heard, we know the twists and turns of the, the narrative. Or maybe for us it's fresh today. I thank you, Father God, would we not just be a people stirred, but would we be a people changed? Would we become a people not just who hear your word, but people who do your word? And I thank you, Father God, that your word intersects with every family dysfunction, every sinful pattern of behavior. Your, your word intersects with every uh, stress and anxiety about the state of the world and what, the, the, what our boss is saying, what our politicians are saying, what our neighbors are saying, what our family is saying. We, I thank you, Father, your word intersects with whatever the doctors are saying, whatever darkness that has crept over our lives. I thank you that your word comes and will achieve what it sets forth to do. I thank you, Father God, that your word comes and we, your people, Mix it with faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Briefly, chapter two seasons, I believe, tell us three things. When Jesus comes home, this is one, the first thing that happens, I believe, number one, that prodigals start coming home. Prodigals start coming home. I love the narrative where it says four men, they couldn't get this, their, their paralyzed friend into the crowd, but it says four men. Other translations say some men. And I like that translation a little bit better, some men. Because in, in, in my head, it doesn't name them. It doesn't tell us there any background story. It just says some men carried a paralyzed man. Ordinary, average, wild, faith-filled, expectant, somebody's, anybody's, nobody's. Some men. I love that. Some men carried this man in. And, and as I start to mull that over, I start to wonder, God, what are you wanting to do with us? Maybe you're here today, and I want to tell you, maybe the passage should be written, some teachers, just some teachers carried someone to Jesus, just some artists, just some accountants, just some praying moms, just some designers, just some friends, just some businessmen carried the kingdom of God into a dark world. Imagine if that gripped our heart afresh, just what God could do with some men, with some women. I thank God for some friends, just some friends who I actually don't know all their names, who consistently over years prayed for my wife Fiona when she did not know Jesus at high school. They met and they would pray for her specifically. And when she got to matric on a, on a high school field, she eventually, her heart, um, her heart softened and she gave her life to Jesus. 
And I want to tell you that I'm so grateful for some friends. I don't know their names. I don't know all their stories, but they prayed for my wife, and she came to faith. She led her sister to the Lord. She led her mom to the Lord. She baptized all of them. And, and actually, I thank God that that is changing generations to come with my children because of some friends. What God can do with some men, some women, some men and women who are willing to pick up the mats of those who can't get to Jesus. And I love the narrative. It says this. They couldn't get there, so they looked up. They climbed on the roof, and this, this word, this phrase, I love it. It says, so they dug a hole in the roof above Jesus' head. Now, I want to tell you that that for me doesn't do it. That is way too neat what happened. That, that description doesn't do it just justice. I believe when someone starts digging a hole in my roof, it's a lot more violent than just they just dug a hole in the roof. They literally ripped the roof off. Jesus is preaching and then tiles and clay and things of wooden beams are falling on their heads. Let me tell you, some of you are complaining about different things in church expression. Let me tell you, this church meeting was hectic. If you got out alive without a brick falling on your head, you did well. Clay, this is how roofs were made in those days. They had clay tiles that were laid on a mat of branches and grass supported by wooden beams. And this was all held together, not by cement, but by manure. I love the fact that these guys literally, and I, and I excuse my French, but these friends had to quite literally dig through a whole lot of crap just to get their friend to Jesus. Excuse my language today, but I want to tell you, I think it's got to be that reality, that actually what we're doing is not neat and tidy. What we are doing is we're confronting kingdoms and principalities of darkness, that we are praying and trusting for God to bring breakthrough. We're going to dig through people's brokenness and mess, and we're not going to get distracted. We're not going to get frustrated. We're not going to back down. We're going to, we're going to keep digging, and even though we might not see it, we're going to get people to Jesus. I love that the, some men did this reality. And this is amazing for me and you. I believe this is a church that's always been a church unafraid to get their hands dirty. But I believe this is our greatest season, a chapter two season, of people willing to give up their comfort so that others might see Jesus. And I pray this will be always the reality, not a people who just come to church, but a people who become the church. This is what Jesus called, that we'll see prodigals coming home. Secondly, when Jesus comes home, we don't just see prodigals returning, we also see protests. Love the, the scripture says, but some of the relig teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Incredible miracle is breaking out. And some men are bringing Jesus, the, a paralyzed man to Jesus. But other some men are sitting there with critical spirits looking at this whole thing going down. A miracle taking place in front of their eyes and going, mm, I don't think so. Not on my watch. It doesn't line up with what I think the kingdom of God should look like. But I want to remind us that when we preach and respond to the grace of Jesus, the enemy will get rattled. No matter how debauched your story is, no matter how broken your story is, no matter how disfigured and scarred you are, when you start to believe that Jesus is enough, the enemy gets rattled. He does not get rattled when we get our own lives in order, when we think we are on the front foot, when we feel like, yeah, I'm really doing well with this. No, he gets rattled when Jesus starts to be proclaimed in our lives. When we say, yeah, I see my sin, I see my shame, I see my mess, but let me tell you about Jesus. Oh, that's when the enemy starts to get rattled. And I want to tell you at this church, we, we're not trying to do some moral grandstanding, stand up and talk about the issues of the day. Now, let me tell you, we've got a perspective. It's the Bible. And we will preach the Bible. And we will preach about what God's standard is and what God has called us to. Yes, yes, yes. But the aim is not so that we can get some right standing by our right theology with God. No, no, no. We have right standing only because of Jesus. 
That this is not our ability not to get it all right. It's actually just to get people to Jesus. And we want to preach Jesus because I want to tell you, it's only the name of Jesus that causes the enemy to scatter. There's this moment in the book of Acts where the, the demonic rises up and says to these, these guys who are trying to, trying to get it all right, trying to get the picture perfect, get their theology and expression just right. And the demonic says to them, Paul we know, Jesus we know, but who are you? And I want to ask you, is your name known in hell? I want to tell you, it's not because for some religious elite who know how to beat their chest and how to flex and preach. and ah, No, no, no. It's for those people who just call on the name of Jesus and believe it. And trust that for their kids. And trust that for their business. And trust that for their salvation. And trust them for their freedom. Say, I, I see the mess, but I'm going to keep trusting Jesus. Let me tell you, the whole Bible is about Jesus. Did you know that? It's all about Jesus. David and Goliath, my favorite story in the Bible. Why? Not because it's a narrative telling me that I am David, and if I really get courageous enough, I can slay Goliath. No, the story David and Goliath is a picture of Jesus that actually David is Jesus who slays the enemy on our behalf. Do you know who you and I are in that story? We're the scared brothers hiding in the field going, did he win? He won. Yes, we're in. Woo! That's who you and I are. Isn't that great news? The pressure's off, people. Look to Jesus, the greater David. Let me tell you, he's all over the Bible. In Genesis, he's the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he's our Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's our cloud by day and our fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's our prophet unto the like of Moses. In Joshua, he's our captain of our salvation. In Judges, he's our defender and our redeemer. In the book of Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In the book of Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. I want to tell you, this is the good news about Jesus. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of our broken walls. And Esther, he's our Mordecai who stands and pleads on our behalf. This is who Jesus is. It's every single book. Job, he's the day spring on high. On Psalms, he's the Lord our shepherd. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's Jesus our wisdom. This is who he is. The song of songs, he's the lover of our souls. In the book of Isaiah, he's our, 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 our prince, our peace. In Jeremiah, he's the righteous branch. I don't have time, but Lamentations tells us that he's also the weeping prophet. Oh, I want just to know who Jesus is. That's who I want us to know. We are dangerous. We are dangerous. In Matthew, he is our Messiah. In Mark, he is the miracle worker. In Luke, he's the son of man. In John, he's the son of God. In Acts, he's the giver of the Holy Spirit and fire. In Romans, he's our justifier. We've got to know who Jesus is. We can go on and on and on and tell us that all the way from Genesis to Revelations, that in the valley, in the mountaintop, he is every page. He's bleeding out of this Bible. And the whole point of the church is so that we would know Jesus. I want us to know Jesus, and I pray that I'll tell you, when we preach Jesus, that's when people will protest. I don't want, and that's when the enemy will protest. The enemy will come against not a church that's standing on moral high ground, not a church with a finger pointing at the world, but they'll look at a church that keeps pointing at the man with arms outstretched towards the world. That is our job, not to condemn, but to invite in. That's what we're called to do. He is everything. Everything to me, and I pray it'll be everything to you. Thirdly and Friday, finally, when Jesus comes home, prodigals return. The enemy starts to get rattled. And thirdly, praise starts to break out. It ends off by telling us that incredible scripture we read at the beginning says this. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Don't you want to be a part of a church? That that is the, how was church today? We've never seen anything like this before. 
I pray that that would be our, our testimony. We've never seen anything like this before, not because the worship was great, not because the preaching, wow, not because the coffee, wow, all those things. We'll do all those things, but so people can encounter Jesus. And praise will start to break out. That will be known as a place of praise. I, I, I really do believe that actually a lot of the church worldwide are like a Coke bottle. A Coke bottle that is, there's a lot of great worship. There's a lot of great preaching. And a lot of services, people feel stirred. I'm one of them. I love gathering. And I feel like the bottle of my life is being shaken. I'm like, yes, 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 yes. But let me tell you, unless we give vent to that stirring, unless we give expression to that shaking in our hearts and the revelation, unless we open up the cap a little bit and then a little bit more and then let it burst forth from us, we're just going to become a very flat church. When you just keep shaking that Coke bottle after a while, it just goes pop. But actually that Coke is supposed to be opened up. And can you imagine a church that's been shaken and then just burst forth, you know? Burst forth in praise. That was for you, Sean. But I want to encourage us. Can we be a church that give voice to our praise? We're not trying a style of worship or a style. We're just saying, we love Jesus. We've got to praise him. We've got to praise him. We want to rip the ceiling off of our praise. We want to take the roof off. So not only is that room full, but actually the surrounding areas here of this amazement. This incredible God that saves, redeems, heals, sets free. And I love the reality as I bring this into land, and I'll call the band up. In Mark chapter 6, there's another reality where it says Jesus went home to his, his, his place of origin, Nazareth. He goes back to his place of origin in Nazareth. So he's gone to this, a place he calls home called Capernaum. There's great celebration. They're worshiping. They're exalting him. But then in Mark chapter 6, it says they go home to Nazareth. And there's a difference here. The first time when he's in Capernaum, he had ends off by saying they were amazed and praised God. But when he goes to Nazareth, they look at him with cynicism. They look at him with skepticism. They go, yeah, cool miracles, but isn't he Joseph's son? And this is what this, that chapter finishes by saying. As the first chapter in chapter 2 says, they were amazed and praised God. In Nazareth, it says, Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. I'd much rather we were amazed at him, then he was amazed at us that we don't, you don't believe me? You don't believe what I, who I say I am? You don't believe, say what I can do? This is the pattern, let me tell you, this is the pattern of scripture, that when Jesus makes himself at home in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our workplace, when he does that, let me tell you, prodigals will come home. Let me tell you, the enemy will start to get louder in life, and thirdly, it will result in great praise and honor to Jesus. In Luke chapter 15, this is the example. Jesus preaches the, prodigal, the story of the prodigal son, and the story is a prodigal son who ran far away, wasted his money, wasted his life, living in the pig squalor. But it tells us the father was standing, gazing, waiting to welcome him home from day one. At the mere sight of his son walking home, the father hiked up his, his, his dress and attire and ran down towards the son coming home. Not waiting with a finger pointing, where have you been? But saying, come, welcome home. Welcome home. Prodigals were returning. But let me tell you the very next thing that happens. Protests step up because the older Bible says, that's not fair. How can you give him such a welcome when he's wasted so much? You've got to give him a, a, a system of re recovery. You've got to give him a long step process that he's got to work his way back in. Come on. But then we see what happens is it ends in praise because he says, no, 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 no. Don't you argue. Kill the fattened calf. Put the robe on the son. Put the ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Come on and let the music start to play because we are going to party because this son who was dead is now alive. He was lost and now he's found. This is the pattern of God. And this is the amazing news for you and I. And I want to remind us is this, that this is a season we're tearing the roof off. I believe we're going to see in this room that we're going to see miracles of people 
that people you have been praying for for years, who you said will never come to faith, will find faith in this room. That we believe that actually people who would never darken the door of a church will find life salvation here. And I believe that this is also a place where the enemy is going to be shaken. The enemy is going to have his tail between his legs and running for the hills because the people of God have got a revelation, not of their righteousness, but of his, his righteousness. And praise is going to beam out. And tell you, this is my confidence. Why? It's not because of a people who are good at tearing roofs off and ceilings off, but actually because of Jesus. Because the prophet Isaiah said this, he said this, so he prayed, God, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you tear the heavens and come down? And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in chapter one, whatever angle they took it, tell us that God answered his prayers and tore the heavens and came down. Didn't call us up, it came down to us. The scriptures tell us as Jesus died, it says that the curtain was torn from top to bottom, ripped the roof off of here, the thing that separated man from God. And finally and ultimately, Jesus on the cross, we know that his very body, the flesh, the veil was torn so sons and daughters, prodigals can come through. That was an amazing sermon. If you would like to find out what your next step is, why don't you go to our website, lifechanges.org.za or follow us on social media to find out about what is happening in the life of our church. Life Changes Church, we love you. Have an amazing, amazing week.